Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for today. Um, Lord, we ask that uh, as we look at your word, that you would watch over it, uh, to perform it, um, to cause it to do something in us, uh, and that your name would be honored and glorified. Thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here and to worship and to sing. Lord, I thank you that you created us for this, uh, to sing to you and to know you and to love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can have a seat. Good morning. Get your Bibles, grab them, go to Romans chapter 7. That's really still pretty hot. Can you take, take that down a little bit, girl? <clears throat> Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it, and then we'll get into it. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Would you just bow your heads with me and pray one more time. Father, please help us. Please help us. Open the eyes of our heart that we might see wonderful things from your word. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. John Newton, who is probably most well-known, or most of us probably know him for penning the words to what might be the most well-known hymn ever written, Amazing Grace, was also a faithful pastor uh, in England in the latter half of the 1700s. Um, and he said something that should create a sense of urgency and attentiveness in us this morning as we look at this passage uh, and try to understand it here at the beginning of Romans chapter 7. And what John Newton said was this, very simple, but very true, and very applicable for us this morning. He said, at the bottom of almost all spiritual errors is a misunderstanding of the role of God's law in the life of the Christian. Let me say that again. At the bottom of almost all spiritual errors is a misunderstanding of the role of God's law in the life of the Christian. Now, the reason this should, of course, cause us to engage all of our faculties in wanting to understand this passage this morning is, of course, that the topic at hand in this portion of Paul's letter is the nature of the Christian's relationship to the law. And so it's extremely important that we understand it and that we engage with what Paul is saying here so that we do not fall into these same spiritual errors uh, that, uh, that John Newton was, was referencing. And he doesn't say exactly what they were, but he says at the bottom of almost 
all spiritual errors is this misunderstanding of the role of God's law in the life of the Christian. And I'd like to say something at the beginning that if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, I want you to get this. I said this a couple weeks ago out east at the end of one of the messages. And again, there are similar themes that are running through this portion of, of Scripture in Romans and um, and we're hitting the same things kind of again and again, but in a more nuanced way, and Paul is taking us forward here. But here's what, I want you to, here's what I want you to get, is that I want you to understand that the more legalistic a church is, the more sinful it will be. I'm telling you. Now, here's the thing. That's the exact opposite of what many of us think. Many of us think if some rules is good, more rules is better. It's not. The more legalistic a church is, the more sinful they will be. The more legalistic an individual is the more sinful it will be okay so what Paul has been doing here over the course of of these chapters and and folks like if you're just jumping in and like we're if you're visiting this morning maybe you don't know what we're doing but we're just kind of walking through the book of Romans here this entire year uh, by God's grace um, this is kind of what we we felt we felt led to do but um, Romans is you know as earlier on in the uh, um, in the book at the beginning of the year when we started it, uh, we compared it to that if the Bible is the Himalayas, then Romans is Mount Everest. We've also compared Romans to uh, kind of a thick forest of really tall sequoia trees. Maybe we can just combine those two things and say that Romans is Mount Everest littered with sequoia trees all over, <laughs> meaning like at time, it, it's a big mountain to climb and it's very easy to get lost, okay? So um, if it seems a little heavy, it's because it is. Um, just as kind of a little bit aside here before we get into the text, one of the things that I just want you to know that we're committed to here at Mercy Hill is we don't believe, we, we believe that superficially reading the Bible and just skimming the surface of the Bible is going to create a superficiality in our Christian life. And we do not want to be superficial Christians. Okay, so, so when things are heavy and Romans 6 or 5, 6 and 7, really, really all of it, it puts an unbelievable strain on the mind. You're like, eh, this is, you know, kind of hard to understand. Can you please just give me three points in a poem? Something that's alliterated would be nice, and we'll just move on to something else. No, we, we won't, because God's word has been written in a certain way, and it's important that we engage it and that we read it, and we don't get it, and we read it again, and we might not get it, and we read it again, and we read it again. This is a book that molds us and shapes us and forms us into the image of Christ. And there's no excuse for anybody to just go, well, that's hard to understand. Deal with it. Deal with it. God has given it to us. This is a book that is going to shape us and push on us. It's not going to leave us as we were. If you want to change, then you have to embrace um, the way the Bible is written and what it's trying to do to actually change you and to change us um, as a people. So all that to say that um, I admit that this is kind of some rough sledding here, but if you rake, you get leaves. If you dig, you get diamonds. Amen? And better to have one diamond than a whole pile of leaves. Who cares? And so we got to dig. We got to get dirty. We got to go down there. Let us, let us climb here for just a second, kind of a contextual tree, in order to kind of get our bearings and figure out where we're at. Okay? What Paul has said back in Romans chapter 6 is that we, were, we died to sin. We died to sin. We have been united with Christ, being one with Christ, being in Christ, is the primary thing that Paul's been talking about here in chapter 5 and, and transitioning into chapter 6 and now in chapter 7. Um, but we have died to sin. We have been raised with Christ in the same way by extension. Um, it's something that could be implicated, but that Paul is now stating explicitly here in Romans chapter 7. 
is that because we died to sin, we also, by necessity, must have died to the law. Okay? Now, Paul, this is, Paul is the king of the run-on sentence. All right? Um, I'd like to take him back to my English teacher and say, it really doesn't matter because Paul did it, so I was allowed to do it too. But I'm telling you, Paul is the king of the run-on sentence, and so this is where it can get tricky, but let me climb a contextual tree here and show you. Back in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, okay, he makes this strong statement about grace, and it's not the first time that he makes it, but when you make strong statements about grace, it is going to cause people to ask questions, and Paul anticipates this. Back in Romans 6, verse 14, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you since, since you are not under law but under grace. Now that is a strong statement about grace. He said something very similar at the end of Romans chapter 5. He said, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increases, grace increases. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, these strong statements about grace, they raise questions. The question back at the beginning of chapter 6 is, well, what should we say then? Should we just continue in sin? Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Same thing after, after that strong statement about grace in verse 14. A question arises, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? He says, by no means. And, he, and again, we've, we've kinda, I won't rehash that, but we've gone through that over the last couple weeks. Here in chapter 7, what Paul's doing is he's answering another question, bringing clarity to the statement that he made in chapter 6, verse 14. Okay, look at chapter 6, verse 14 again, and let me just skip over then verses 15 through 23, and you'll see how it fits. He says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. And then just jump over to 7.1. Or do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So here's what, here's what Paul's doing. After that strong statement about grace in chapter 6, verse 14, one of the questions that would have come up is, well, can we just freely pursue sin? Because we're under the law. And, and he says, no, you can't. That's what he answers in the rest of chapter 6. But it would also raise another question. And the question would be, Paul, again, going back to 6.14, would say, Paul, in what sense, in what sense, are we not under the dominion of the law? In what sense are we not under the dominion of the law? And Paul gives the answer. He goes, well, it's like this. It's like a woman who was once married to this guy, but then he died, and she's not married to him any longer. That's what we're talking about this morning. Are you following me? Okay? So this is what, this is what Paul, um, Paul is doing here. Let me, again, before we even get into the text... As we've been going through the book of Romans, it's like every week I never have enough time to say all that I want to say, and it's kind of the nature of the beast, and I, ha I just have to deal with it and go on. Um, but let me say something here that's very practical um, as we're in this, this thick theological section of, of, of Paul's letter. As I said, these strong statements about grace cause people to ask questions, as they should. You know, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Shall we continue in sin? No, no, it shouldn't. But let me say this, just very practically, Mercy Hill. If people are not asking these questions, then we are not preaching grace strongly and clearly enough. If people are not at, wait a minute, wait, you, you're saying I can, just con I can just continue in sin that grace may abound? No, no, no. I mean, we, we don't. That's not the answer. 
Paul answers it adamantly, but what I'm saying is, if nobody's ever asking these questions, then we don't get grace, and we need to get grace. Because grace is what changes absolutely everything. And so one of the things that I want to happen in the culture of our church is that people ask, well, what, man, you guys are so radical about this grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Doesn't that mean that I can just go on doing whatever I want? No, 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 we'll answer the question for you, no. By no means. It's not unclear, that's it. But people should be asking the question because if they're not asking the question, then we are not preaching grace strongly enough. Are you following me? This is important. This is something that I want for the culture of our church is we want it to be a culture of grace. Not just grace, some generic, some generic off-brand grace that we just have our own definition, but the grace that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That when he said on the cross with his dying breath, that it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. He dealt with absolutely all of it. None of us can. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He will be for us what we cannot be for ourselves. And if we are not preaching grace strongly, then we are robbing Jesus of the glory that he deserves because of all that he has done for us. Are you with me? So far, okay, we need to get to Romans chapter chapter 7 here. Um, so here's, here's kind of very simply, just to give, you, give us a little bit of handle, as we work our way through the text, um, the way it's set up is you have the principle, the picture, and the purposes. The, pic- the principle, the picture, and the purposes. The first two we won't spend much, much time on because they're very self-explanatory, and then there are three purposes that Paul has um, in the life of the believer um, here in, in, in writing this section of, scri- of Scripture. First of all, just the principle in verse 1. He frames it as a question, but you see the principle in it. He says, Do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. There's, that, that's the principle. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. The law for me to pay taxes is binding on me as long as I live. But if I die, too bad, Mr. IRS agent. I owe you nothing. That my, The death frees me from the law. Now, the law that he is talking about here um, is, is uh, the Old Testament law, uh, the Levitical law, um, and, and specifically uh, the Ten Commandments and all that went, that went along with it. But that's the principle. Death frees us from the law. Now he moves into the picture. That's the principle. Now he moves into the picture. And, um, <coughs> well, it's pretty straightforward. I don't know what else to say other than, other than to just read it. Look at verse 2. He says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now, again, Paul isn't talking, like, he's just using marriage as an illustration here. He goes on and he says, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Why? Because legally, by law, she is bound to her husband. And if she marries another man, she is, she is I'm sorry, but it, it, where was I? Verse 3, but if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, then she is not an adulteress. So if he's still alive, is with another man, she's an adulteress. But if he dies, again, you see the principle being explained here in a picture that death, this is the point, is that death frees her from the law. Now, verse 4, there is a twist here, okay? 
And now we get into the purposes, the purposes of this. And Paul is going to here apply the principle and the picture that he just laid out for us. Verse 4, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Now here's the twist. If you're reading carefully, and Paul wants us to read, to read carefully, and he doesn't mean to be confusing, um, but notice this, is that in the illustration, if you were going to carry everything, everything forward, in the illustration of, of the, the woman that, would be, that is married to the man that she set free, if the husband dies, okay, if you're going to carry that forward here in the, in the picture, it's we were, in a sense, married to the law, and you would expect him to say that the law died, but the law does not die. He, he, he flips it, not to be inconsistent with the analogy, but again, the, the, the principle is simply that the law is binding only as long as a person lives. Well, here's what he's been saying so far, is that because when Christ died, through faith in Christ, the mystery of the gospel, our union with him, sola fide, by faith alone, we are united to him. When he died on that cross, we died with him for all those who have trusted in Christ. And because of that, we have died, but we have also, there in verse 4, to him who has been raised from the dead. We were united with him. But the principle still holds true that through death, but it wasn't the law's death, it was our death in Christ. Through our death, we are now free from the law. Is everybody still with me? Do we need to stand up, stretch? You're good. I know that that's a lot. I know that that's a lot. Um, and it's a little bit heavy and a little bit hard to understand, but understand it, we can. Right? We can absolutely understand it. The principle that the law is binding only as long as a person lives, the picture um, that a woman is set free from her old marriage, uh, uh, if the husband dies, but then the application of it uh, that we have died, and so we are now free from our husband of the law. And this, and here's where I want to sit now for a while, this does three things. There are three purposes that God has in bringing about this, this good news. I want you to look very carefully in verses 4 through 6 at three little phrases. Again, folks, you got it in the book of Romans, the the senses, the therefores, the because, um, the fors, all those little words matter. Look at these little purpose statements here. Um, in four, it says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Here's the first one. So that you may belong to another. At the end of verse four, then he says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And then in the middle of verse six, he says, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit. This so that, in order that, and so that, these are God's so that's. These are God's purposes. God has purposes in bringing about what he brought about through our union with Christ. Here's the first purpose. Number one, that we have a new marriage. A new marriage. That we might belong, as it says in verse 4, to another. Why did God bring this about? Why did God send his son to die on the cross for our sins? The first purpose, and there are others, but the order here matters. The first purpose is simply this, that you might belong to him. That's it. That you might belong to him. 
that we are his. Do you understand that the good news of the gospel, before you have to do anything, and yes, he's going to talk about bearing fruit. He's going to talk about serving in the new way of the spirit. We don't deny that there are things to do as Christians, but not first and foremost. First of all, it is just simply about belonging to Christ. One of the things that I had a wedding last week, and one of the things that I usually share with couples in pre-marriage counseling, but then also um, I kind of been trying to work it into the wedding, is the first question to the Westminster Catechism, which says, um, what is the chief end of man? What's the chief purpose of man? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I always try to explain that those two things are really one thing, because it says, what is the chief end? Not chief ends, being multiple, but just one. What is the chief end or chief purpose of man? To glorify, and so you can say, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's it. And I always look at the couple and I say, if your marriage is to be a picture of Christ and his church, and we glorify God by simply enjoying him in the same way all you have to do in your marriage if you want it to work and you want it to bring glory to God. And I look at them square in the face and the, you know, they're usually standing right here in front of me so they can't get away from me. Um, but I, look at them, I say, don't, don't forget this. Just enjoy each other. That's it. The purpose of marriage, it's like, are you going to do things? Are you going to have kids? Are you going to, you know, buy a house? And is God going to use you? And maybe he'll, you know, send you to the mission field or maybe he'll have you serve in the local church here or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sh- sure. But first and foremost, just enjoy each other. You, the whole point of this is to belong to one another. In the same way, we are to belong to Christ. Don't just jump over this. This is at the very heart. This is at the very core of absolutely everything. Christian, do you know that this is why God sent his son? That you might simply belong to him. That you might be his. That you might abide in him. That you might know that all your sins, if you've trusted in Christ, past, present, and future, they've been paid for. It's been finished. You are secure. You are safe. For how long? Forever. It's eternal life. It's not eternal till Tuesday. It's eternal It lasts forever because of what Christ has done. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that we were once married to another. We were married to this old husband who hurt us and who we could not live up to his expectations. There was an old marriage to the law and it called us to perform and it called us to perform perfectly and we could never ever ever measure up there is a fitting part of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where if you guys have never read that extended allegory it's you should try to read it sometime Uh, it also is kind of a lot, but um, outside of the Bible, it's the best-selling um, book of all time. Okay, so it's worth it's worth the read. But it's this extended allegory about <laughs> this guy named Christian who's journeying to the heavenly city, and Christian encounters many struggles along the way. Uh, but one of his companions that comes alongside of him at different times is this character named Faithful, and Faithful shares this story about with Christian about how he had been journeying on his own and how all of a sudden this man as swift as the wind he says 
Faithful is recounting this to Christian. He says, this man as swift as the wind overtook me. And it, it was but a word and a blow, for down he knocked me, and he laid me for dead. But when I was little come to myself again, I asked him, wherefore he served me so? And he said, because of my secret inclining to Adam the first. And with that, he struck me another deadly blow on the breast and beat me down backward. So I lay at his feet as though dead. But when I came to myself again, I cried out to him, mercy. But he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. And Christian said, ah. He said, that man that overtook you was Moses. He spareth none. Neither knoweth he how to show mercy to those that transgress his law. And when he talks about how he eventually found respite from Moses' merciless beating, from the law's merciless beating, he said there was, there was one who came by, um, and he says, Moses would have doubtless made an end of me, but that one came by and bid him to stop. And then he says, and I did not know who this man was until I saw the holes in his hands and the holes in his side. Christ came to deliver us from the power and the standard of the law, that old marriage, Moses, the old man, Adam, the law to whom we were once married. We are not married anymore. Now here, I I could sit here, we could just sit here all day and again, I know I'm speaking in allegory here in, in, in metaphor, but I want you, I want you to understand. And Paul's going to get into this, and I'm, you know, you got to jump forward here just just a little bit. This is what we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks in Romans chapter seven. There's there's nothing wrong with the law. In fact, if you understand what I'm saying, then you would have a question. Well, is the law bad then? Paul's literally going to ask that next week. Look at verse seven. He says, "What shall we say then? Is the law sin?" What's Paul's? No, by no means. We're, we're going to get there. Okay. But, but the point is, is that this law, because of sin in us, it, it causes us to live in this dysfunctional relationship, so to speak, where we constantly felt abused and constantly knocked down. But in the gospel, and you trust in Christ, you are now united to him. And brother, sister, I, I know we think we know this, but I'm, do you really know this? I think we, I know we would say that we know it, but do you really know this? Jesus is a different kind of husband. You understand? He is a different kind of husband. He, we think that we're remarried, and it's just like it was under the law. No, it's not. No, it's not. L- l- listen to Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul describes marriage and husbands and wives, but really he's talking about Christ and the church. And he just comes in and out of both because they both mirror each other. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. Would Moses do that? Would the law do that? No. Christ did. It's a different kind of marriage. He goes on, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water 
with the word. Did Moses do that? No. Moses told us how dirty we were all the time. He goes on, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Moses do that? No. Christ did that. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Did the law make us holy? No, the law exposed our unholiness. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves him, loves himself. Christ loves you just as much as he loves his own body. He loves his church as much as he loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But listen, and listen to these, these simple little words here. <laughs> no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. This is your new husband. This is who you've been united to. One who wants to nourish and to cherish you just as Christ does the church. And then mystery of mysteries, Paul goes on here and he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. He says, because we are members of his body, there, and then he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Ah, he's speaking of Adam and Eve. Ah, not really. He says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you know that your new husband is different. Do you know that? And, and if you do, then you should live completely differently. If you're constantly waiting to be beaten down, see what I said earlier that the more legalistic a church is, the more sinful it will be. It's exactly what Moses and the law create. But if we understand that we've been united to another, it brings a whole new freedom and again, this, that's language that Paul's using in this section, that we've been set free from the law. And that new, that new marriage, that new union with Christ, it causes fruitfulness. And this is the second purpose there. He says, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. And here's the, the next purpose phrase. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Now I said the order is important. Please notice this. We do not bear fruit in order to belong. We belong and then it produces fruit. This is so important, we get it backwards all the time. Like, Eric, you're repeating yourself a lot. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I've been in the church a long time and I'm telling you, we miss it all the time. In moments like this, we go, yes and amen, absolutely. But this is not how we tend to live. We don't do things in order to belong. We belong and it produces things in us but you have to believe you have to delight in you have to enjoy the fact that you belong and if you are not being satisfied in all that Christ is for you and all that he has done for you you will not bear fruit because you will be living in fear of your old husband to whom you once were united but you are not any longer see at salvation when you put your faith and trust in Christ I know that on one level it's simple that's the good news of the gospel is that it's by grace alone, through faith alone. But what happened in that moment is unbelievably supernatural. You were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and a bunch of other things. But another thing that happened was you were united to Christ. That old marriage died off and the new marriage happened all in a moment. To just say it as straightforwardly as I can, you will never become a mature, fruit-bearing Christian if you are constantly wondering if God's love for you is the same. Like, you, 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 you cannot bear fruit. He loves me, he loves me not. 
he loves me, he loves me not. And it's just the luck of the draw as to where you're going to land with that last pedal that you pull off. If you want to become a mature, fruit-bearing Christian, you have got to understand that God's love for you is unchangeable. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just like He is, and that He loves you, and He cares for you. A free people are a fruitful people. Only people who belong bear fruit. Now again, here you see, though, along with this new fruit, this new life that Christ died to bring us into, that there was also old fruit, and Paul contrasts the two here. He says, for while we were still living in, our, in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So you have, in verse 4, fruit uh, that we might bear fruit for God, and the idea there is that it's fruit that brings glory to God because it's evident that he's the only one that could produce it in us. And you have that contrasted with bearing fruit unto death. And folks, this fruit unto death, it's nasty. It's super nasty. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, we are at Mercy Hill. I just want you to know this. I think you do. Um, but again, this, it's, it's in the text this morning, so I'm not just ranting, okay? But I... When we sniff legalism, we bring out grenade launchers. When we sniff legalism, we, we bring out the full artillery and we'll nuke it from orbit just to make sure that, it, that, that, that it's dead. Because it's nasty. It bears fruit unto death. And if you need an example of this, just look <coughs> uh, and think with me about Paul's life. Is Paul once was bound, and he wasn't just bound to it. He, it's the, in, in his sinful flesh, it was dark. He loved being bound to that old husband of the law. He describes his former life as, as being a Hebrew of Hebrews, a, a, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And when it says that he bears fruit to death, um, that can look like a whole bunch of different things, but it does literally look like death. You'll remember the life of Stephen. In the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is standing up and he's testifying uh, and just basically preaching the gospel and calling people to leave their old husband and to be united to this new husband that came and died for them. And Paul, along with many other people who were, were bound to that old husband of the law, they stone him. They literally kill him because of this. They literally bear the fruit of death. And even in his dying moments, if you remember, remember the story at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen <clears throat> is bearing fruit for God. You get a picture, one picture of what this looks like. That as they were stoning Stephen, it says in Acts uh, seven fifty nine, as they were stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he crowd, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. But he bore the fruit of forgiveness even with his dying breath. Why? Because he had been united to another. But Paul, still united to that, to that old husband. See, see, here's what it is, folks. If we don't live like we're married to a new husband, the old husband, he, his arm not only abuses us, but it, will, it wants to reach out through us. 
and it wants to beat others down. And at Mercy Hill Church, we want it to be a culture of fruit that brings glory to God where there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like those. But I'm telling you, it will not happen if you do not know that you died to that old husband and you've been united to a new one. It's the only way, it's the only way that it happens. The old, the old husband exerting his power, again, not just through individuals, but through a church, um, it's, it's so, so to speak, it's an orchard of death. But God wants it to be an orchard of life. Um, and we must not let that old husband exert his control over us. The third purpose, and this is kind of a, it's a little bit broader. It's kind of a catch-all. Um, but the first purpose is just that we belong. The second one, that we might bear fruit. But then third down in verse 6, so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So here's what he says here. <coughs> is that in, in the English, at least this is the ESV, it says that we might serve in the new way. It's literally just newness of. Okay, but but the, using the word way, um, it, it does give the sense of it. But but it, it literally just reads so that we might serve in the newness of spirit, and then also oldness down in the next line, and not in the oldness of the written code. So you have here, you have here um, this idea of newness and oldness. Now, underneath this word spirit, Paul has not talked a lot about the spirit up until this point in the book of Romans. He's going to. We're going to get to Romans chapter 8. Um, and again, hang with me here. I know this is a little bit technical, but I think this will, will help you in understanding Paul's argument as you're reading this and stuff on your own. Just like I said, he's kind of continuing to um, unpack the implications of chapter 6, verse 14, over here in 7-1. If you read chapter 7, verse 6, he really takes the beginning of chapter 8 right on to the end of it. So again, let me read verse 6 here in chapter 7. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. But he's going to give another long interrupter here um, through the rest of chapter 7. But jump over to chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Notice the link between this new way of the Spirit, and he's going to eventually get here, and then read chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Are you following me? And so he's going to give this other long in interrupter and answer these questions in, in, the rest of, in the rest of chapter 7. But the point being this, I say all that to say this, is that when he speaks here of this new way of the Spirit, there is an ocean of things that Paul means, that Paul implies in that, in just simply the, using that word spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit. There is a whole ocean of meaning and goodness that we are meant to swim in. He's going to get there and unpack it primarily um, in chapter 8, 
once, once we get there. But notice here that he, he contrasts this new way of the Spirit to the old way of the written code. That at Mount Sinai, God comes down, there's an earthquake, there's lightning, there's a dark cloud with fire and stuff spewing from it. Very scary, but God is holy. He comes down, that's what happens when he manifests himself on the earth. He gives the law. Um, they immediately break it. Moses comes back down with the, with the tablets, and before he even gets down there, they're already dancing around the golden calf. Again, it, it, um, it gave no power to actually help overcome it, but it did uh, reveal to us that we are sinful and hold up God's standard. But now this new way of the Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, after Christ had risen, he's seated at the Father's right hand. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And this idea of the Spirit or the old written code, I, I think the primary difference is that of a relationship. A relationship. You think about something that's simply written on stone tablets. Here we've got some papers with some words on them. I can see what they say. And let's just say that they are you know, let's pretend that they're commands, they're telling me things to do, and those things to do are right and true and good. Have no other gods before me. Uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Life will go better for you if you do those things. Yes, I agree, those are good things. But here's what it does not give me, is I cannot just have a relationship with this. It lacks relationship. And we are relational beings, okay? So I'm not just gonna sit down with this, with this written code, how are you doing? And it's not going to ask me, how are you today? Are you doing okay? Hey, I, I, I care about you. It's just going to tell me things that I must do and drive me to perform. But now, the Holy Spirit, very God of very God, He lives in us. And, and He is given to draw us into a relationship with the living God, with our new husband that we are to enjoy and to, be, and to be satisfied in. Now, is the Holy Spirit, and this is a theological question, that's, but it's important to answer it explicitly here at some point. Again, we'll probably answer it next week as we continue to go through the text. But is the Spirit ever going to lead us to do something that is contrary to the written code? No. The Holy Spirit inspired that. But, but here's the thing. It's it's like, it's like taking my kids swimming. And I take them to go swimming, and, here's, you, and you kind of see the disconnect in, in Christians' minds sometimes. Because they, well, is the Spirit, do, do I still need to keep the law? Well, you will as you follow the Spirit, but that's not the point of it. It's like going swimming, and my kids would go, well, Dad, we're going swimming. That's awesome. I'm excited. Will I get wet? Yeah. You know, or, Dad, we're going, hey, we're going swimming. I'm so excited. W will there be water there? Yes. Are you going to walk in those Old Testament commandments as you're living life in the Spirit? Yes, but that, that's not the point. Like my kids aren't going, we're going to get wet. We're going to get wet. No, they're going, we're going swimming. We're going swimming. There is an ocean of grace and goodness and mercy and kindness in Christ Jesus. He is the ocean in which we swim. Last week in the theater, I ended with it, I believe it's Ephesians 2.6, that in the age to come, He is going to forever be revealing to us the riches of His glory for His people. 
that we will never get tired of swimming in this ocean. Will we fulfill the law? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to get wet doing that. But that's not the point. We are saved by him and for him that we might belong to another one. Um, and there, there's a parallel passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me just read it. I'll begin to wrap up here. But he says, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some of you, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. He says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. The spirit does something in your heart not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human flesh. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be minister, ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, see the old way of the written code, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Worship team, you can come up. I'm just going to close here quickly. Here, here's what I want to ask you this morning. Okay? And not thinking about the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, to your left, your right, but for you, brother, sister, please. And I'm not, hear me, I'm not telling you, I'm asking you to examine you with God's help from His Word and by the Spirit. Here's the question. Who are you married to? Who are you married to? Who are you united to? Are you enjoying Jesus Christ? Do you know that before any sort of doing, serving, fruit bearing, all that's first and foremost, he saved you just because he wanted to save you. This is his, his glorious grace that's unexplainable. He just loves you like, yeah, but why? I'm, I'm not lovable. The law has told me that I'm not lovable. And the law is correct. You are not lovable. I am not lovable. But mystery of mysteries, the grace of God is such that he tells us that he loves us just because he is love. Well, how can I know for sure? Because God sent his only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And would, would you just please be honest? Because I think there's one of two you know, categories. that we, Well, three, I guess. We, we can be fruit-bearing Christians, and I'm not saying that we're not. I think, that, I think that we are. I think that the fruit needs to increase in all of our lives, mine included. But the way we do that isn't by me getting up here and going, bear more fruit, bear more fruit, bear more fruit. The way we bear fruit is I want to come back and I want to remind us to whom we belong. And then as you move backwards, it, if there's not fruit, the, the, the question becomes, have you been united to Christ but you think that Christ is like your old husband? He's not. He wants to nourish you and cherish you and love you and care for you and make you understand that you're safe. Or the other very real possibility, and listen, I've grown up in Holmes County. I've lived here, born and raised, lived here my whole life, and this is a very real thing because I was in this category at one time. It is possible to sit in church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, but the reality is, is that you are still married to Moses. put it a different way, the category, I would just call it simply the religious lost. Is you think that this is what Christianity is. 
is just to get beaten down by this man who comes upon us swiftly as the wind and knocks us down again and again and again. And if you're in that category, one of two things will happen. Either you will become despairing and pretty hopeless, and I meet a lot of people like that. Or you will become like the Apostle Paul, and that old husband will exert his arm through you to beat other people down. Jesus Christ came to give us a whole new way of life whole new way of life and it is for you this morning just simply to be believed and to be received by grace I pray that you do that pray with me Father we love you we thank you so much for your word Jesus thank you for coming to set us free thank you for calling us to this first and foremost that before anything else you simply call us to belong just to be with you to abide with you to rest in you to trust in you, to know that you want to nourish us and cherish us and to build us up and to make us pure and spotless and blameless and holy. Lord, I pray that we would not believe the lie that, that legalism or rules and, and, and self-help and self-effort um, somehow creates fruit from us, but Lord, I pray that we would believe the truth of your word, that grace changes everything and grace actually causes us to live holy lives we're amazed that we've been united to the one um, that we were created to enjoy. So Father, please help us. Thank you for these guys. Lord, help us. Lord, I want to be more fruitful. I want us to be fruitful as a church. I want people to come and to be among us, not just here on Sunday mornings, but anytime we interact with them. I want us to have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and all other good things like that, of hope, of hope for the future that it would all be for your honor and for your glory because you're the only one that produces this and, and Jesus I thank you that you've never failed us you've never failed us and you never will so Lord we rest in that this morning we just thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here and talk about it and to worship you in Christ's name I pray amen you guys stand with me